Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, Patricia has an article for us. What will we be talking about today? I do have an article that is all about family supportive supervisor behaviors. So we've talked about this, I think, before on the podcast. Actually, I think last week's episode, we like mentioned it at one point. Um, mm, yeah. But yeah, basically it's about supporting leaders supporting um, their employees' family lives. Um, but this article talks about how sometimes they don't see eye to eye. Bomb, bomb, bomb as to whether or not mm. the supervisor is doing these things. <laughs> wow. Well, that's interesting. Um, I know that there has been some uh, work that's been interesting before about um, like leader member exchange that I don't think we've actually ever talked about, but there's like no. a major theory in leadership about certain leaders just like prefer certain followers. And so they give more to those followers and then those followers give back more to the leader. And that's called leader member exchange. And like it predicts all this like positive stuff at work. Like if your leader gives you more stuff and you give the leader more stuff and you have these like exchange based relationships that predicts like positive outcomes for you, it might not predict positive outcomes for other people who don't have that relationship with their leader. But some more recent work has come out that basically shows that leaders and members don't always agree about whether or not they have good exchange relationships. Like sometimes the leader's like, yeah, sorry, we have this great relationship. And the followers like, nah, and, <laughs> or, and, or vice versa. So I think that's an interesting topic area because I think people are getting more into the idea that different perspectives might yield different thoughts and results. We really need to ask both parties to see what's really going on. Yep, exactly. That's exactly what this is about. It's all about you know, the difference and what that means and how that impacts the person. So cool. Well, I'm excited to hear more about that. Um, speaking of perceptions and people's thoughts and feelings, how are you thinking and feeling today? Um, tired. I, we were just talking about how I'm like yawning every five seconds. So everyone <laughs> excuse the yawns if it happens during this recording. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't. And maybe if it does, Allie can cut it out. So there's less yawning. Um, but I feel like I had like a fit earlier, um, of yawns that is. <laughs> and I don't know. I was just saying that I was having like weird dreams and I don't know. Last night was weird for sleep, but I do want to shout out to the fact that I saw Allie, our producer, this weekend, socially distanced with masks, very far away outside, but I got to see the baby, and she's so cute. CC. So cute. So cute. So cute. cute. It's very exciting. Yeah. So that was fun. That was a fun thing to do this weekend. I feel like I socialized a bit um, safely, and I haven't been doing that that much, so it it was worth it. It was definitely, um, yeah, I feel like I haven't, you know, had those moments. I feel like there's back before COVID every week I would have like a dinner with a different friend group or, you know, there'd be all this stuff and I haven't been doing those things at all. Um, I mean, I know I went to, for everyone that's listened to the other shows, I know I went to Palm Springs recently, so I should stop whining, but, um, (laughs) but that being said, like I haven't had just like a normal, like we get together and spend a couple hours on a Saturday together type of situation in a while so it was nice it was fun yeah yeah I feel the same way we um spent the weekend with friends and so like early on in um COVID well not early on but like a few months in we kind of decided like you know we're gonna have to see 
a few people and be like, because we live far away from everyone that we know, we can't just like drive to Philadelphia to see people for like two hours and get in the car and drive back. I mean, I guess we could, but it's a lot. um, (laughs) Yeah. So we decided that, you know, there's a few people that we'll see and they're not seeing um, many people either. And so um, this one couple that is uh, our best friends, like we hung out with them this weekend and we were saying that like, even though we've been zooming with them, a lot and like we text with them all the time and stuff like that it's not the same as like actually seeing a person and not and not like looking at a person through a screen um mm-hmm. so we had a lot of fun this weekend it was a good time um good. yeah yeah so that was really nice um we were happy that we got to spend the time and I agree just having like a person interaction I mean I was even thinking about it the other day that you know I used to all the time go to like coffee shops to do work or, you know, you do that too. Like we yeah. both, like when we hang out together, we usually go to a coffee shop to do work. We don't like sit in the house and do work. And so I was very used to like getting up and like going out. If I wasn't in the office, I might like go sit somewhere or whatever. And just even the idea that like I've been indoors all day, every day and like working from home is nice. But the fact that like I don't ever have a change of scene I think is also like, oh, wow, like whole weeks go by and I like never go outside. That's bad. Like I should be better about that. So I've been trying to do a little bit more of it. Like even that, just like walk around the block or like whatever the case may be to just like remember that we need human and like natural interaction. Yeah, I think it's really important. And I think the change of scenery is huge because you're right. Like I would always go to coffee shops too. I really like I love being a remote employee. I love working from home. But I do, part of what I, I guess part of what I love about it is the fact that I can change my scenery, right? If you go into an office, you go to the office every single day. And like, yes, that's a different scenery than what you had in the morning. Um, But, and you get to see people, which is a great part of it. But it's still the same office. Like, I could choose where I wanted to go. I was able to choose to go to that coffee shop and then a different coffee shop the next day. Or, you know, at home for three days and then if, I mean, I'm not a WeWork member, but, like, there were a couple of co-working spaces that have, like, you know, day passes that aren't expensive. Sometimes I would do something like that. So, like, you right. could do, you could pop into different places and it changes your complete setting, which makes, I don't know, it makes me feel way more productive. Um, but I actually am so excited because our building just opened up, like, we have this brand new um, pool area, which that's open, but with, like conditions of course but then we have like this whole new building that's got like a gym and a lounge and study pods and the gym and the Mm. lounge are still closed but they opened up the study pods and what that means is you sign up for a time and you go and you can just use the pod that you signed up for and then they give you a time slot and then you leave and then there's 30 minutes between you and the person next after you or before you and they clean you know between so you have like a different setting so it's I'm still, like, alone, right. but I'm in, like, this little this little pod where it's, like, all glass, so I can see outside, yeah. I can see the other people in their pods, um, and I'm in a, just a completely different space in my house, and, like, I've done it a couple times already, and I feel like I'm going to try to do it, like, at least, you know, on less busy weeks, maybe once a week. Um, yeah. 
And I think it's, yeah, so that's been really nice for me. I'm like, oh my god, there's a new place I can go. It's not a coffee shop. I have to bring my own my own stuff with me, but yeah. <laughs> it's still like a different setting and it's kind of cool. No, that's awesome. And I think that's what it is. It's like change of scene is huge. And also, like you were saying, like you haven't had a lot of connection with like anybody like relationally. So like you're seeing Allie, even though like you're like distance and stuff, it's like different than just like, you know, being through a screen. And then it's also like not only are you seeing everyone through a screen, but like you're seeing the same scene over and over again. Like it's like just. even more like kind of isolating feeling like I can't go anywhere and I can't see anyone is kind of like blah so um so yeah I think anytime you can get a little change of scene and that's why I've been trying to if I have like you know 15 minutes between meetings or something before I think in the beginning I was pretty good about trying to do something like walk outside or whatever because we had like just moved here so I was like so excited like oh we have this like yard now and I can like go stand out here or whatever so (laughs) I was like better about it and then as time went on I think I like went back to just like not being as good about taking the breaks in between the meetings and like I habituated to being inside more yeah but I think that's bad so now recently I've been trying to if I have 15 minutes between a meeting instead of um you know just sitting there for 15 minutes and like refreshing my email or like doing some other task online that I need to get done I'm like trying to be like okay I can do that later let me get up and actually like move around go outside for a minute whatever because it does make a difference it really does and I feel like I am in the same boat where like at the beginning I was like I'm gonna take my work outside and I'm gonna sit on the like I made Danny order like this bench that we have on the balcony now and he put it together and I know it was like he gets so mad because he put all this ever putting it together and I feel like I've not been out there in so long <laughs> um one it gets pretty hot during the summer so like in the middle of the day I'm not gonna sit out there there's not like shade or anything and it was it's been too hot so maybe in the fall when we actually have fall weather because we're still like 90 degrees um but when we actually have fall weather maybe I will go out there but like I insisted in March that he get this bench so that we can do so I can sit out there if I want to and then I was walking a lot more like going and taking some walks here and there just to be out of the house and then I feel like I'm the same way where it's like lately it's like it's easier to just get stuck sucked into all the work and like being at home and now I'm like used to being at home and so I feel less of that like intense need to get outside but I feel like that's really bad like we're just we're getting too adjusted almost Yeah, so I think you're right. Like, the more we get used to this as normal, the less we try to interrupt our routines with things that would actually make this time period better. And you kind of forget that, like, you used to go out more. You used to see more people. You used to not be in your house so much. So you're not thinking as much about putting those kinds of pauses in your day because you're just getting habituated to the idea that you're inside more and like it can be really isolating so I think the the idea that we need to try harder to create these pockets where we are getting out actually being in nature the more we start to see being alone and more isolated as normal is really important and I actually think that tees up the article quite nicely because uh, we're talking about how supervisors can support their employees or maybe how employees perceive those behaviors as well so um 
curious how some of this might tie back to the conversation we're having also. Yeah. So let's start talking about the article because I think it is, like you said, it does kind of tie into all of this and how we can all support each other and um, in this time <laughs> and make sure that we are not getting too adjusted and able to yeah. do some of the things that really help us feel better um, that we forget about when we're just stuck inside. But anyways, this article is about leaders supporting the family life of their employees. Um, so it's like a very specific thing, but I do see the relationship. So good transition there. Thanks. I <laughs> Let's start with the name of the article. So it is called, When Employees and Supervisors Do Not See Eye to Eye on Family Supportive Supervisor Behaviors, The Role of Segmentation Desire and Work Family Culture. And it was published uh, this year, 2020 Journal of Vocational Behavior by Marisau, Rolf Kennan, Las Heras, Elise, and Bosch. Hmm. Lots of names cool. that I probably butchered, but yes. you know. <laughs> no, I actually think you did a lovely, you did a lovely job. Um, well. So tell us some high level what it is about these behaviors and why the match of the two perceptions is important. Yeah, so spoiler alert, only 30%, 38% of employees and leaders actually agreed on how supportive the leader was. Um, mm. So it's actually pretty rare, relatively rare, for there to be similar perceptions. But I'll talk about the results in a second. I just want to kind of define family supportive supervisor behaviors. So Sure, yeah. Basically, they're a set of behaviors that are intended to support employees and family lives. And there's four different dimensions. The article, we don't dive into the four dimensions in terms of like the results, but I just want you to know what they are. So a supervisor can be supportive of family through emotional support. So things like showing concern, um, wanting to, you know, show that they, they care about the person and giving kind of that like... Like when you're telling someone show the telling your supervisor about this, the supervisor is showing some sort of emotion back, right? Supporting you. Mm -hmm. Then there's instrumental support, which is basically providing day to day resources to help people in their individual requests um, to help them juggle work and family issues. So, you know, if you need to take a half day one day, being open to that. If you need, um, I don't know. I'm like, I keep going back to like, if you need a cell phone, but everyone already has cell phones. But like <laughs> back in the day when a company yeah, might provide you a, a mobile phone, phone yeah, <laughs> um, uh, you know, whatever it is, you know, maybe it's the ability to be connected to the VPN from your house when you used to be going into an office and sometimes you have to go home, you know, and you were somebody that needed to work at home for a couple hours to pick up your kids from school or whatever, like those kinds of resources. Mm-hmm. Then there's role modeling. So it's basically the leader that actually doing good things to support family life and work family um, balance. So things like not sending emails late at night or, you know, actually taking vacations and disconnecting during them, things like that. Then the creative work family policies is the last one. So of the four, so it's emotional support, instrumental support, role modeling, and creative work family policies. And so these are really proactive efforts of the supervisor to help employees across the board um, in terms of balancing their performance and their work and life. So that includes things like rearranging job duties, 
you know, changing work hours for folks. So it's not like, oh, one day someone needs to take half off. That's the instrumental support, right? Just for this. Oh, yeah, go. You can, it's an emergency leave versus the policy of you only, like you work from seven to three because you're the one that picks up the kids from school or whatever. Um, those kinds of more systemic, like big long-term things are the policies there. Okay, cool. So I can either provide you with some instrumental, like I'm here for you. I understand you or sorry, emotional. I'm here for you. I understand you. Like we share uh, a connection or relationship building um, efforts. Instrumental, I give you something that you need. Role modeling, I actually do these good behaviors myself. And creative, like even if you have a situation that's a little more outside of the box, I'm not going to balk at that. I'm going to say, how do we figure that out and solve it? Yep, you've got it. So those are the awesome. four areas. The four Family support and supervisor behaviors that are part of that big bucket that we're looking at here. And we know that, that this these behaviors have been linked to things like higher employee job satisfaction, more engagement, retention, better performance. So there's been a lot of re research that shows that it's good. But the thing that's unique about this study is that it compares to see how employees and their supervisors agree on this. And we know that a lot of times they don't agree on lots of things, right? A lot of supervisors might think they're much better than they are, or they're actually think they're worse than they are, right? So there's a lot of times that employees see supervisors differently. And in this specific study, they find that, that that's no different for these family supportive supervisor behaviors. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that that's true that a lot of times supervisors feel like if they're providing things that they personally would find helpful but not thinking about what everybody else would find helpful they perceive themselves as being helpful so I wonder if that I know that this paper won't get into that but I wonder if that's part of it too is like oh the work family resource I would need is this so I provide just that but I don't take the time to say like oh maybe my situation isn't the same as everyone else's or maybe you know maybe you're not a person that asks for a lot of emotional support so you're a very like unemotional not there for people type person but you don't think that that's a big deal because you that's not something that you would value as highly or whatever the case may be so I often think that people's blind spots are around things that they don't value as much or they don't see as being as important and if you're not in tune with what your employees actually want you could be missing a lot mm -hmm. I 100% agree I think it's really important to understand your team members and how they differ from you. Like that is probably the biggest thing. Like how they're similar to you, that's easy for you to manage, right? How they're different from you is really, really important to understand. And I personally have been like thinking about that and realizing that and, you know, my team members, my employees, and we have a lot of differences. Like I am much more outgoing. I like working directly with clients. My team is really in the data. So they're not as interested in dealing with clients. And so there's a lot of differences between us. And I feel like it's very, the thing I've been learning the most in this position is how to understand their perspective and what they actually need and want versus what I would want in certain situations. And I think that is exactly kind of what you're talking about and what this paper is about, because what I think is best or what I would do or, you know, the whole like golden rule idea of do unto others that you want done to yourself. That doesn't really always apply. Um, yeah. Sometimes 
people don't want to be um, put in the same types of situations that you want to be put in. Maybe the types of opportunities they want are very different than what you would want. And so you don't, you have to think outside of yourself to be good at this. Yeah. I, I remember, um, I know someone who, uh, has like a retail store with like women and men's clothing. And I remember her saying like in her first year, she did decent sales, but her whole focus was like, she would, you know, look at what was in different places she could buy items from. And she would just buy like, what would I, what do I think is cute? Basically, what do I think is nice? So her whole mentality towards buying was like, oh, I like that. I like that. I like that. She put it in the store. And the problem was there was like no variety. So oh. <laughs> if, if everyone had like the same taste as her, if people had the exact taste as her, they loved her store. But what she found in the first year was like people really like different things. Like like what is appealing to her is not appealing to someone else. And so she really had to learn like, oh, what? what is out there that people like I could carry something in my store that I would never ever wear, but someone else will wear it. Like if you think about going to a store with a friend, like you almost never come out with the same thing. Um, <laughs> so, so I think it's similar, right. In terms of like, we all don't want to wear the same shirt. We all don't pick the same like pants to wear, same dress to wear to a party. So like we all have different preferences. So it's the same when you're doing anything else. So I'm, so it's interesting that people perceive themselves as being good at something and other people perceive them as being not good at something and that it's at such high, such a high rate because I think that's an easy miss like, Oh, but I'm, I'm doing what I think is good, but not everybody might view it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that it goes that way, but it also goes the other way where sometimes people are harder on themselves too than others. So when we're talking about that 38% they found in the study in terms of, those are the only ones that have similar perceptions. So that would mean what the 62% that have differences, that 62%, they are, it could be that their supervisor actually just really hard on themselves and everyone thinks they're fine. So mm -hmm. there's, yeah. you know, it could be kind of either way. Um, I'm going to guess it's probably more likely that they think they're better than they are, but mm -hmm. I, don't, I yeah. don't remember the stats here. It could go the other way. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. So, so what does it do? Yeah, so just wanted to kind of set the stage a little bit because this study was actually done in El Salvador, so I found that kind of interesting. One, it's outside the U.S., um, which I know we often talk about studies that are studied within the U.S. Um, Asia is probably another really popular place, but mm -hmm. Central America is less so, so I thought it was really fascinating that the study was done there. Yeah. Um, and something to note there that they specifically called out in the article is that El Salvador is a more conservative country, holds a lot of patriarchal social attitudes, um, that are reinforced by a more traditionalist view on religion and family centered values. So something to keep in mind that the family is very important in this society. Um, but there's also the, these patriarchal views as well. So, um, mm -hmm. that's just, just a context for what the results are housed in. Um, okay, cool. But interestingly, employees actually work long hours, even when you compare them to the U.S. Hmm. Um, so in El Salvador, people tend to work really long hours, and a lot of the companies there are behind even the U.S. in implementing work family policies. And you guys have all hmm. heard how much we say the U.S. sucks at work family policies anyways. Yeah, right. So that's, this I think. This is even more in need. Yes, exactly. Exactly. 
So they looked at supervisor employee dyads from four different companies. Um, they measured family supportive supervisor behaviors. So if a supervisor was answering questions about it, they said, uh, the question said something like, I'm willing to listen to my employees' problems and juggling work and non-work life. And then if it was the employee answering the question, it would say, my supervisor is willing to listen to my problems and juggling work and non-work life. So the questions were the same, just, you know, mm-hmm. who was doing it changes. Um, then they also measured, so the things that they were looking at is the outcomes, right? They measured motivation, so intrinsic motivation. You know, I, I work because I enjoy the work itself. They also measured mm-hmm. turnover intention. So I frequently think about quitting my job. So those two things um, we know are related to employee wellness and satisfaction and all of the good things. Um, so those are their outcomes. And they also measure, just so that we know when we get to it, they measured work family culture and they measured mm-hmm. desire for segmentation. So work family culture is basically where uh, they're measuring whether or not there's a positive culture to help um, employees ma- manage their work and life within the whole organization. So not at the, you know, the level of a leader that has impact day to day, but from policy perspective. So example, like the question might be, um, many employees are resentful when men in the organization take extended leave to care for newborns or adopted children, or employees are often expected to take work home at night and or the weekends. So that's the kind of bigger culture that the people are sitting in outside of just what their supervisor is doing. You know, their supervisor could be great, but the culture could suck, right? Yeah. Okay. And so they're talking to a bunch of different employees from different organizations in this Mm -hmm. survey so they're surveying a bunch of people from across and they're looking at whether variation in the company culture that they're in means anything in this Mm -hmm. equation yep and then the final thing is that segmentation piece so basically the desire for segmentation is how much does somebody want there to be um a break or boundaries like real boundaries between work and life and work in their home life. Uh, obviously, now with COVID, I think we've been talking about how we're just trapped at home and working all the time. And that's, uh, the boundaries have blurred for most of us. But generally speaking, um, this is more about the person's desire and what they want. Do they want a boundary between work and life? Or are they somebody that really likes to kind of have more of an integration perspective, which is Like, um, if I like to integrate, then I might get on a meeting and then I might go do some laundry and then I'll go on to my next meeting and then I'll go play with my kids and then I'll do my next meeting, you know? So like being kind of flexible with your schedule throughout the day and like wanting some integration between the two types of your two sides of your life, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, okay. So all of these things, we got intrinsic motivation, we got turnover, we got culture, we got segmentation. Um, how do they all relate to whether or not you agree with your supervisor about family supportive uh, supervisor behaviors? Yeah. So there's a lot of findings here. So I'm going to kind of b- pull out like the main ones that I think are important to share. So first off, just from a very high level, employees' perceptions of high family supportive supervisor behaviors. So if an employee that thinks their leader is doing a good job in supporting, that employee is less likely to think about turnover and they're less like and they're more likely to have intrinsic motivation. So they tend to hmm. want to not want to leave and they tend to be motivated at work. Okay, great. 
Yeah. So pretty straightforward for that one. Yeah. Then when you look at employees and supervisors agreeing, so if they both agree that they're that the supervisor's good, the same thing mm-hmm. stands, right? So if both mm-hmm. employees and supervisors recognize the person's good at being supportive of family, the employee is less likely to want to leave and more likely to be motivated at work. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Then if there's a disagreement, employees have high motivation only if the supervisor is underestimating how good they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So it kind of makes sense, right? So it's not that the supervisor is bad. It's just the supervisor doesn't realize how good the employee thinks they are. Right. And the and the supervisor might not even be aware that the employees think that they're good. Obviously, they're not aware that the employees think that they're good uh, based on that. Mm-hmm. So basically that you could have a, a really good environment, but whether or not the supervisor knows it's a good environment might not make a big difference for your motivation like you're still going to find the environment makes you want to do your job well yes exactly exactly um and then it's where it starts to get a little bit more complicated when you start to look at these other areas i mean the one (laughs) one thing that i'll start with one that's slightly easier so when both employees and supervisors agree that the person the supervisor is good at being supportive and there's a really good culture, then turnover is at its lowest. Mm-hmm. Or turnover intentions, rather, is at its lowest, yeah. which makes sense. Yeah. So that one's easy, too. Okay. But then if we start to look at the segmentation piece. So if I really want to keep my personal life and my work life separate, mm-hmm. I'm going to have the highest motivation only when my supervisor and I both believe that the supervisor is good at being supportive of family. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I wonder if that's because segmentation is a little bit of a harder strategy to practice than integration in the sense that like end segmenters are less frequently occurring in the population. So maybe in order to accommodate a segmenter, you have to have had like a real conversation about, hey, when my when the clock hits five, I'm done. Right. And like you've had that conversation and the manager agrees that you've had it and thinks that they've done what they need to do to support that. And you agree that you've had the conversation. And and I know they're not measuring a conversation, but I'm just trying to picture like what might need to happen for a segmenter differently and it may be that that requires like more of an explicit agreement that like hey I do things from this time to this time and then after that I'm not yeah well it's interesting because it kind of ties into the next piece so this is like where the story gets a little complicated because if I'm an employee that really wants the integration so my motivation is actually highest when both my supervisor and I agree that the supervisor doesn't do a lot to support me. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so the integrator maybe just doesn't need as many of these behaviors because they don't need the supervisor to help them set clear boundaries. Does that sound like that might be an, uh, some kind of an explanation to make sense of why it you don't need to you're happy when they're not doing these 
behaviors and when they agree they're not doing them because you don't actually need someone to be accommodating as much because you're just kind of doing both all day long. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think it would make sense if it's... I think it would make sense to not matter, right? Like, it, the thing that confuses me is that it mattered. So it mattered mm. that the person and the supervisor agreed that they're not doing this that often. Right, And right. that part's, like, a little weird. Like, why does it matter? Yeah. I wonder if an integrator... I'm trying to think about the difference between a segmenter and an integrator. Like, okay, um, if I'm an integrator, do I want as much emotional support or do I need as much instrumental support to structure to make sure that I have my work and family fitting together the way I want or do I need as as many creative work like I'm trying to think about whether or not it's really like that just the segmenter needs more resources or needs resources and when a supervisor is doing too many things to like okay I'm turning off my email at 5 p.m and role modeling like this maybe more segmenter type behavior the integrator is like well no I want to do stuff at 10 p.m because I want this to I that's when I do some work usually because I did other life stuff during the day or something. So maybe like the questions lend themselves more towards segmenty type behaviors. Yeah. That's something that I was thinking about too. I really do think that could be a part of it. It's that being supportive might just mean you're supportive of segmentation. You might be, mm -hmm. you're supportive of people shutting down um, their computers at night and not sending emails and like maybe right. someone that's like really, really strong on that is a person that's going to tell you, hey, why did you send that email at 8 p.m.? You shouldn't be doing that. Like, And that right, is something right. you actually want to do. And therefore, it creates like a weird conflict. Yeah. Well, we were just talking about uh, this recently. A couple of friends of uh, mine and I were talking about how legally, um, you know, companies shut off access to people's email when they're on maternity leave so they can't log in. Mm -hmm. And in a way, that's that's nice and I'm sure that people who are high on segmentation like really prefer that like okay this is my maternity leave I'm not checking my emails whatever but for other people who like to do a little bit more they were happy that they weren't like expected to be doing work anywhere near the level that they would normally do it but the idea that they had free time sometimes where they could have been just like at least skimming through what was coming in and seeing like they they could keep a pulse on what they were going to come back to in a sense like that it wouldn't just be right. like an inbox of like a thousand emails that they open on their first day back and they're like no you know like mm -hmm. um that for some people they really liked that practice and for other people they were like oh I that's not something I would have picked if I had a choice yeah. so I think it might come to some of that where it's actually a really good practice when you think about what we say about disconnecting but it may not fit with certain people's preferences if that's not the way that you generally like to work yeah no I've heard the same thing from some of my friends as well um that like <laughs> I've had a friend that actually tried not to take leave at all because she wanted to work a little bit it mm -hmm. ended up being a legal mess but <laughs> that's right yeah um that's neither here nor there but the point is that yeah I think that there is some difference and you know honestly that's what they say in the article like they say Maybe it's just that they don't need the same kind of support. It's they have their own resources between work and family. And it's just not as big of a deal if they agree with their supervisor. And maybe they mm -hmm. just want less of that. Maybe they want to be more like 
hands-on and everything and how it works and don't need the supervisor support. That's interesting. So, so basically it's, it's fine in some instances. It's fine in this instance if we agree that you're bad. In most cases, the best case scenario will be if we agree that you're good. And that's particularly true when I'm in a culture that supports work and family. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the gist of it. Like there's a couple other findings that I don't think are as relevant um, overall, but I do think that like, oh, the, the ideal situation basically for a segmenter is for you and your leader to agree that they're good at being supportive, they're doing these supportive behaviors, and then you're going to be better off. Um, We do see the one thing that's interesting is that turnover intentions are higher across the board when their supervisor is either overestimating or underestimating their Mm -hmm. behaviors. So it is always better for there to be agreement. It's obviously if you are, if you think the supervisor is better than they think they are, you're you're still doing okay, but it's even better if you guys can agree that you are, yeah. that the supervisor is doing a good job. So basically I think the main takeaway is leaders need to understand where their employees are coming from. They shouldn't just buy dresses that they like, um, at their <laughs> store. <laughs> yes. They should have lots of dresses. And for the people that really want there to be ba- clear boundaries between work and life, they need to find be supportive and help them find the dress they like and help them right um yes. you know show them where the fitting room is but then <laughs> the the people that don't really want that segmentation that they want to integrate they want to work at night and you know be able to check their email here and there and kind of go in and out in terms of their work schedule to some degree they want to integrate those two things then you just as a leader leave them alone let them find their own dress they're happy to do that yeah Yeah, it seems like flexibility and conversations are really important here. I remember like a long time ago, I went to some kind of a summit, like an HR summit or something, and someone had mentioned that as part of their coaching practice, they ask, they tell their employees in their work and in their life to ask the people that are important to them what do you expect from me? Like, what are your expectations? What do you, what do you think that I should be delivering on what's most important to you? And he said that in many instances, particularly with um, closer relationships, people are really surprised at what people say because they think they're going to be able to anticipate what the other person wants from them because they know them well and they think like, okay, I know this person well enough to know like, you know, my boss expects me to do X, Y, Z, or my closest coworker expects me to do ABC, or my family expects me to do these three things every day. But that sometimes what you think the expectation is and what they see as the expectation is very different. And then that actually changes what how you spend your time. Because if you're, most of us spend time, you know, wanting to make sure that we're making the people around us happy, Um, and not to a point where it becomes like, you know, that's all you're doing and you're never making yourself happy. But like, you know, you want to do a good job at work. You want to be a good coworker. You want to be a good family member. But a lot of times you can get surprised at like, oh, you know, I'm spending so much time doing X, but actually no one expects that from me. So the example that, uh, this guy gave, I remember was like, uh, this mom asked her family what expectations they had for her. And she thought for sure that one of the expectations her family had was for her to cook like, really good meals for dinner 
And she was spending a lot of time trying to plan like innovative meals and like, but she didn't enjoy it. Like go to the grocery store. You have to have something new every, every week and like whatever. And not one person in her family mentioned like, oh, we expect that you're going to cook like this amazing food. Like, and so (laughs) she brought it up and said, does anyone like really care? Like, is anyone in this house like appreciate that very much? And they were like, well, it's nice, but like you could make the same thing like you know you could make the same few things you know over and over again and we don't actually really care that much about that and she was like well great I don't care about that either I thought everybody else cared about it and then all of a sudden like she found a way to free up some time that wasn't so doing like good things for anybody so I guess uh you know the same thing could be said with supervisors here when you have that conversation about what do your employees expect from you in a work family situation you might get some surprising answers and that might give you some really good information about how you should actually be allocating your time instead of trying to take a guess at what you think they want. Yeah. I think, I mean, that story is a great example because I do think that's important. And really the fact that this result is different depending on the person um, and whether they like to segment or, you know, integrate, I think tells a bigger story that there's probably other variables that this can vary on. And I know like, um the stereotypical like psychology answer to any question is it depends and I feel like that I mean that always applies right it always depends and it depends on the person a lot so I think it's really really important for leaders to have those conversations like you said and for companies to care and help facilitate these conversations so I do think that the fact you know we see that work family culture you know, really, really helps in reducing turnover intentions, you know, having those supportive leaders and having that, um, that positive culture really has the biggest, like biggest impact on turnover. So if that's the case, then the company needs to help facilitate that. An organization can be giving trainings to their leaders on how to have these conversations, you know, even just like some toolkits and some, I know like most companies will have some sort of internet or something where you can go to your manager resources. And it's like, here are some things you should be considering talking to your employees about, like maybe once a quarter, like even if you have weekly check-ins, they often get really tactical. So making sure as a leader, you take a step back and say, oh, hey, you know, we are in Q2. We just started this quarter. How are things going? Anything that you need? What do you expect from me in, in terms of your family support, in terms of, you know, whatever other work things are going on and other develop, like how, what do you expect for me to develop you? All of those types of conversations should be happening. Not every day, not every week even, but relatively frequently. So you can make sure that your expectations are aligned with each other. And not only you as a leader can help the employee, but then obviously employees want to know where they stand and how to do better too. So I think those conversations, that transparency is huge. It'll make a huge, huge difference. And right now we're in the midst of COVID Hopefully people have been having these conversations, but if you haven't, we know that there's a lot of changes and it keeps changing, right? Some places are opening, some places are not, some places are doing this and that and blah, blah, blah. So there's so many things that keep changing. It's, I think, more critical than ever to just keep the communication lines open and check in on your employees and ask them, what do you need? How can I support? And if they don't want any support, back off and let them be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that this takeaway is all about communication, conversation, and, you know, you 
obviously a lot of people are not having these conversations because they share very different perceptions of themselves uh, and what others see. So it's always good to get an external perspective on how you're doing. You might surprise yourself and find out you're doing better than you thought you were, which is good. Um, but, uh, but you know, I think that communication's huge and families are different. People's situations outside of work are very different. So there won't be a one size fits all, but what can be, a strategy that sort of applies as a blanket is, you know, flexibility as a constant state of being like the rule is to be flexible um, and to listen. Um, so I think if leaders can do more of that, it sounds like that will help employees to want to stick around and also help them be more motivated to keep going. I agree. So I think um, we talked a lot about what leaders can do, what organizations can do. If we want to touch on for a second, like what employees can do, I mean, if you're comfortable, it might benefit you to start these conversations with leaders if they aren't doing it themselves, right? If you're a leader and if you have a decent relationship, a positive relationship with your leader, then maybe you can start the conversation if they aren't doing so themselves. Uh, and I think you can also help your team members. So especially your team members that are really, that you know, like really like to clock out at five and be done, like, and you maybe aren't that person, think about how you two can work together to help each other. Um, so if your leader sucks, it happens, but maybe there's things you can do as a team member to support each other and get the support you need um, when you have things that you need to do in terms of your segmentation or whatever you like from a work-life balance perspective. Yeah, and I think the only other thing that I would add to that is that the data also speaks to the idea that there are some managers who are doing a good job and they don't know it. And even though they're your boss doesn't mean you can't tell them they're doing a good job. So if you think that your boss is doing a particularly good job at being supportive of family stuff, tell them. Um, because, you know, while we suspect that most of the estimation may be coming in the other direction, that people think they're good when they're not, there were also some people who didn't think they were doing well when they were. So um, don't be afraid to give positive upward feedback as well. Uh, your managers might also need to know they're doing a good job during this time period also. Yeah, that's a really great point. Make sure that you are sharing feedback too. If you want feedback, if you want support, you can do that um, in an upward fashion as well. So I love it. Love awesome. It. Thank you so much for reading this article. It was really interesting. And I think family and supporting work-life balance is even more important now than ever that people's work and life are so overlapping. So yeah. this is very timely. Yeah, it definitely is. All right. Well, we'd love to hear from all of you listeners as well. If you have any questions, feedback, thoughts you want to share, please reach out. You can email us at contact at workerbeing.com. You can find us on our website, workerbeing.com, which I think when this airs, we might be a few days away from a new website. So you should go check it Woo! out. <laughs> um, you should check it out if you haven't yet. And if it's not updated yet, remind yourself to go next week. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yes. And you can also find us on social. So we're on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at worker being. Thanks for listening. The worker being podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer and produced by Allie Johnson. Oh.